0: Next few minutes, uh, I want you all to meet. We are in, as you know, the Beatitudes, so we're in Matthew 5. And um, just uh, because um, everyone is not able to be here every time, I'll just each week just do a little bit of a summary, sort of a reminder of where we are with the Beatitudes. Um, when when Christ came on the scene here and he is bursting forth on uh, the Judean scene. Hello, come on in. Um, He is coming upon a mindset that is uh, drenched in ritual, drenched in legalism, uh, drenched in the old covenant uh, of performance and external behaviors being being uh, disciplined and, uh, and uh, monitored. Um, he's coming upon a scene in which the Pharisees had added hundreds and hundreds of laws to what God had given Moses on the mountain in 40 days. They, they decided his work was not finished and they had to add new laws. And so, but they were the only ones, they had so many laws, they were the only ones who really knew what all the laws were. So therefore they were the only ones with the potential <laughs> of, of performing those laws. And so by the end of the day, they could just check off their list because they knew what it was. And they, I think, probably modified them to accommodate their performance mindset so they were able to perform righteously. And so when Jesus burst forth onto the scene here with the Sermon on the Mount, he is turning the known religious world on its ear. He is turning it upside down. What was to the Old Covenant, uh, what the, old, uh, the, the, the Ten Commandments were to the Old Covenant, he comes in here and immediately starts uh, changing the mindset and the approach of those who are spiritual with the Beatitudes. The Beatitudes are to the New Covenant what the, old, uh, the Ten Commandments are to the Old Covenant. And, and as the Ten Commandments are the external framework through which righteousness was gauged, and an impossible framework, no one could could perfectly execute the Ten Commandments. Therefore, the Old Covenant Law was flawed because it was not possible to do that. Uh, the New Covenant that Christ is presenting to the people here on the mountain though he does not call it that. But the new covenant parameters were of an interior journey. And the Beatitudes here are, you can see them as a stairway, not up to heaven, but a stairwell inward, down into the interior condition of the soul and the heart. So immediately we see Christ speaking to the heart. And everything that came out of his teachings, out of his interactions, uh, the woman caught in adultery, for instance, or the woman who had of uh, had a, a, a ill repute, who broke the alabaster box and people were condemning her because the Pharisee, the religious leader that was in the room there thought, you know, if he knew who she was and what kind of person she was, he wouldn't even have anything to do with her. He certainly wouldn't let her touch him because she is unclean. And Jesus came against that. He said, though her sins are many, much is forgiven because she has loved much. He always looked at the condition of the heart. Well, this is the beginning of the heart journey here in the Beatitudes. And so the patterns that we see here in the Beatitudes are first an emptying out. So in verse 3 of chapter 5, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. He is speaking of an impoverished sense of who we are, of what we are. He is talking about a humility that comes from an accurate knowing of what I am without God. An emptying out process is the beginning here of the poor in spirit. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. And we looked at that last week. It's not just... The external mourning of losses that we have, but also a mourning of my interior, of my condition, a a mourning of what I am. And as we empty out, next week we'll begin to see it creates a hunger and a thirst in us, a hunger and a thirst for righteousness and a promise for filling because what he speaks of here in the rest of the Sermon on the Mount, and all of the Sermon on the Mount comes out of the Beatitudes. The the foundational cornerstone of the rest of the Sermon on the Mount is is rooted uh, and anchored in uh, the Beatitudes. And what we understand here as as we'll go through uh, the rest of the Sermon on the Mount in uh, future weeks is that the Sermon on the Mount is not possible for us to obey either loving our enemies, praying for those who persecute us, turning the other cheek, going the second mile. Who knows how to do that very well <laughs> without being a doormat? And today we're going to look at that uh, a little bit. But the, the, the difference is that Jesus Christ has promised to come and live in us and live his life out in our flesh. So that, yes, the human condition and the human performance barometer Cannot measure up to the Sermon on the Mount. But if we let ourselves be emptied out and we let the Lord come in and begin to fill us up with his righteousness and his power and his mind, let this mind be in you which was in Christ Jesus, Philippians 2. The last verse of the, of, uh, the second chapter of First Corinthians says, Who has the mind of Christ that he may instruct him? We do. So the promise here of the Beatitudes is that of Pentecost. The promise here is that from Pentecost forward or from belief forward, you and I will have the same power that Jesus had in his flesh. Jesus the man, Christ the God, the God living in the flesh of Jesus, Living his life out perfectly in the flesh is the same power that's available to us in our flesh. And that's the hope. Uh, Not that we try to get this right because you and I will not get it right, but that we learn how to submit ourselves to the empowerment of the Lord Jesus Christ and let him live his life out in us. It's an exchanged life. And that's what the Beatitudes and the Sermon on the Mount are about. And so we're on the third step here of the ladder or the stairwell inward to this emptying out process. And so we look here in uh, verse 5, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. And in um, Matthew uh, 11, Christ describes himself that way. Verses 28 through 30. Come unto me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me. Learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and you shall find rest unto your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Now, after we read the rest of the Sermon on the Mount, we might not think that his yoke is easy and his burden is light. You think, how on earth do we do this? And I think that... When you and I feel that way and there are I know many times in our lives where we do feel that way that this is not as easy and light a burden as as he alludes to here but I think that is because when we feel that way it is because we are trying to carry something we are not designed to carry. He is designed to carry those arduous burdens in our lives. Not us and I think we have to learn how to transfer the load and to recognize the flags in our own spiritual landscape and the flags in our own physical landscape that let us know, I am trying to pull a load I can't pull by myself. What are those signs in you that tell you you're trying to carry something that is too heavy for you to carry? Pardon me? Stress. Stress. And how do I know I'm stressed? Sometimes I'm irritable. Anxious. Depressed. Well, the thing is, for those who are genuine and, and sincerely committed to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, what we want to do is to be able to do it right. And so there is a real fine line here that we have drawn in the sand. The Lord, it may not be as fine to him, but it is for us. On how to live as righteously as we know how to live, and yet let him carry what we cannot carry. Now, a good thing to every once in a while, especially if you're living under stress, (laughs) and who isn't today, is just to take a sheet of paper, lay it on its side, sort of like this, draw a line across the top and a line down the center, and on the left side, title the left side of that, uh, that page, The Things I Can't Control and on our change and on the right side the things I can change or control. Just make a list. Because what happens is you and I live under the illusion that we can control more than we can. The bottom line is that if I'm not in the bottom line decision-making position about a situation, I can't control it. Well you think, well I can maybe add my influence here to the decision. Uh Uh-huh. we can sow seed but what we mean by that is take a broomstick and plant that seed in the soil of that person's soul, so they'll get it right. You know you poke a hole in it, this is the way I used to do it when I planted the garden when I was a little girl for my parents. I take a broom, sti- broom handle and poke a hole in the, <laughs> in the soil, put the seed in, put the dirt and fertilizer in and the water and you know you're almost responsible for producing the, the harvest. And sowing seed is just like I did the fescue grass out here in the garden of the, uh, uh, Amy's garden uh, yesterday. You just take a handful of seed and you just throw it. And we're supposed to sow our seed, our good seed, but we're not supposed to plant it. <laughs> in the person's thinking, in their, <laughs> their behavior, it's when I'm trying to control someone that I can't control. I have a hard enough time controlling myself, okay. but my flag is stress, fatigue, frustration, irritability, when I'm trying to control someone else or something else that is out of my reach. It may not be out of my influence, but I can sow my thoughts and my ideas. But I cross the line when I'm really, really trying to make that person do the right thing. Make that person believe the right thing and behave rightly. Or just come along and agree with me because I know I'm right. (laughs) So if I back up and really look with this list on the things that I can't control or change, then if I let it, it's my reality check. It's my reality check. Um, insisting on something needing to be a certain way because it's right, when it belongs to somebody else's sphere and territory is when I will most usually get myself out of sorts. Now, other things are just circumstances that are in your life that you can't change or control. Yeah. <laughs> no, the bottom line is <laughs> well, I had a client years and years and years ago, and I kept telling her you know to do this, and three weeks in a row she came, and she hadn't done it I said well, Faith, what's wrong? Why are you not making this list? And she said, because the list of things in my life that I can't control is so overwhelming to me, I can't handle it. (laughs) And I said, well, you missed the point. You've got to do this, and then I'll talk to you about what you do with that list. See, this list becomes God's list of things to do. It becomes your prayer list. It becomes your prayer list. You invest your time and energy in prayer about that. Prayer to God about that. You know, uh, when my brother and I were growing up, he was five years older than I, and so every Saturday morning we had our chores to do. And uh, Larry would always have about eight things to do on his list of things to do, and I usually had about four or five. It upset Larry no end that his list was longer than my list. (laughs) And it didn't bother me at all. But Mother said, Larry, you're older, so you need to have more responsibilities. So, you know, it would take him a little longer to get his done, and I'd be out playing, and he'd still be (laughs) in. And I'm strangely not seized with any remorse about that at all. The younger siblings never are. No, they're not. They're not. You're right. And so so I qualify. (laughs) So uh, the thing was, I wasn't about to get over there and help Larry with his list of things to do. It was his list. Let him have it. I'd I'd get mine done and go out and play and have fun and have no stress about it. And Larry was stressed to the max over here because I had less things to do and wouldn't come over and help him. So why is it that it is so hard for us to let God have his list of things to do and not try to get in over there and just help him with it? You see, instead of just letting him have it, The things I can't control or change is his list, my prayer list. But I come over here to the other side of the page and look at what I can change or control. And as you said, there's not very many. It has to do with me. It has to do with how I see God in this situation, how I let him come in and help me in this situation. How I let him deal with the interior of me. How I set boundaries where I need to set boundaries. I mean, you see Christ not as a boundaryless man. He was a man who had very strong boundaries in certain areas, but very wide parameters for other people. And that speaks to his meekness. That speaks to his meekness. You know, I think often we think of meekness as something that's like milquetoast, a uh, doormat. But if Christ was meek, we know then it has nothing to do with being a doormat or milk toast. Meekness comes out of power. Meekness is the opposite of self-focus and self-assertiveness. Because we don't have a need to be self focused and self assertive, because Christ in us gives us all that we have and all that we need. Um, Mother Teresa was asked a question one time Does it bother you when people criticize you? And she said, It bothers me neither when I am impra- it affects me neither when I am praised or criticized, because I know what I am. She didn't have a need to assert herself. She just knew what she was, she knew who God was in her, and she lived that out. Christ never had to defend himself because he knew who he was. And meekness comes out of not only power, remember I talked a couple of times ago about the house of faith that we have That it has a tremendous amount of power in it is the power that the the word comes not only in, in, uh, or the kingdom comes not only in, in word, but in power. He's given us not a spirit of fear, but of power. That power has been placed in you and me the moment we accepted Christ as our Savior because Christ came into us in power. But the power is not of us, it is of God. And so if the power is not of us, then the way for you and me to unleash that power is for us to get out of his way. Humility, recognizing what I am. The word humility means low to the ground. The idea uh, uh, carries with the the root word of humus, the soil-riched enriched by the by the made rich by the debris humus highly humus soil grows really well grows things really well so if we know that we have that kind that we are humus in a sense we then are made ready for growth we are made ready for fruitfulness in us because The power to grow is not of us, it is of God. We determine whether or not the power is released from us. The door to the house of faith is self or pride, whatever word you want to put there. And we determine whether that door stays shut as we pridefully resist things and assert ourselves or whether in humility we step aside and open that door. And if in humility I step aside and open that door because I know what I am, I am flawed, I am fallen, I don't have to be more than I am, what a great freedom that is. That I don't have to be more than I am. This is, is for this reason, Jesus, that you came. That kind of understanding of my humanity. And I get out of the way and then it frees the Lord Jesus Christ and his power to flow out and through Me, And so this is the basis of meekness, humility and power both, where it comes not from a a weakness where people walk over us because you never see anyone walking over Jesus. You never saw people taking Jesus' power from him. He laid it down at times. He gave his power away at times. He he let people come into his space that were needy and needful and, and seeking him. But the Pharisees who were not seeking him, how many times was he in their face? Big time in their face. But he came, he came to even that confrontational approach with the Pharisees from a sense of meekness. Meekness has to do not just with the way we treat others. It has more profoundly to do with how we relate to God. The idea of that word, that Greek word for meekness has to do fundamentally and foremost with how I approach God. Do I accept with meekness the way in which he is dealing with me? Or do I resist it? (laughs) That's the litmus test for meekness. It's not how I'm dealing with others. That comes next. But fundamentally and primarily, meekness is understood in how I relate to God. Do I resist his workings with me and his dealings with me? Do I lock my brakes and skid sideways with him? That has to do with meekness. It doesn't have to do with your personality. I would dare say most of us in here were not born with a meek personality. I think some were. I think my mother probably was born with a meek personality. If not, then she profoundly let the Holy Spirit work in her life to where that's how it appeared. Um, but it has to do with an inwrought grace of the soul, someone has said. An in grace of the soul. So that means that you and I can't let ourselves off the hook because we are cleric personalities. <laughs> inwrought. Grace of the soul. Uh, I n w r o u g h t. It means an in working grace of the soul. You know, I think it's easier for um, softer personalities. Personality. I, I'm choleric personality, choleric and melancholic. And, uh, I, you know, I just always thought, well, you know, I, I am Peter, and, you know, <laughs> uh, the Lord is just going to have to do a great and mighty work in me because I can't quite get this right. <laughs> uh, and and you, you always think, okay, that's my Achilles heel. It's just this fire, you know, this passionate side of me about things and about life and about justice and injustice and all of that. But he doesn't let us off the hook here with meekness. Meekness is the fountain that comes out of the pool of humility. Meekness is uh, mindset and attitude and behaviors that come out of the pool of humility. So it's the public manifestation of a humble heart. And as we humbly submit ourselves to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, then His Spirit can do in us what we cannot do. You see, we cannot make the changes in us that only the Spirit can make. That's the list over here. What I can do over here on the right side is submit. Submit to Him. Recognize that I I can't do this, but I give you permission, Lord, to do in me what I cannot do. The change in us depends upon the working of His Holy Spirit in me. And the key to whether or not that works is whether I get out of His way, whether I submit myself to Him, and and whether or not I see His workings with me as good, whether or not they seem good. That's meekness. How many times have we resisted what God is doing and the way he's doing it? But as I receive without resistance the circumstances that I'm in or the way in which he's dealing with me, then I am receiving it in meekness. And then his power begins to flow in me. Has anyone experienced a time that you would like to share where you really, you really saw God moving in you in a way that was contrary to you. Expressing himself in you, through you, to another that was completely contrary to how you had been approaching that person or had been seeing that person.